Thank you for joining us today on Bible Foundations. I'm Jerry Smythe, your host, and I'm just thrilled as I can be to have you with us again today. Isn't it a joy to understand that there's something that's for sure in life today? What is for sure in life today? Well, God's Word is sure. It's just as sure as the day it was given, inspired by God as he breathed it into those special people who wrote it down just exactly the way he wanted it. And his promises just keep coming to pass. We see that God's promises have been kept now from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob all the way now through Joseph and now down to the time of Moses. We see God revealing himself clear back in the time of Abraham and giving a promise to Abraham that his descendants in chapter 15, verse 13, it says, And, and he said unto Abraham, Know for a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in the land that is not theirs, and they shall serve them, and they shall afflict them for four hundred years. This was the prophecy given to Abraham that the people of his descendants, the people that would become known to us as the Israelites, would be held in captivity in Egypt uh, for a period of time of 400 years. And also that nation whom they will serve, I will judge. And afterward, they shall come out with great substance. Now, folks, this is several hundred years before our lesson today. This is several hundred years uh, that uh, go that God gave that particular uh, prophecy to Abraham. And we see it being fulfilled right before our very eyes in Scripture. As we've moved on, we remember that God gave that his promise to Jacob, too. In chapter 28, verse 15, he says, I am with thee, and I will keep thee and will not leave thee. Well, you see, those very promises were good for all of the people of Israel as the nation of Israel becomes a mighty nation from 70 to two and a half million people. Well, we see that God reaffirmed that very promise again as he, as we witnessed in Exodus chapter 3, verse 7, where God speaks to Moses out of the burning bush. And he says, I have seen the afflictions of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. For I know their sorrows and am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. You see, God gave the promise to Abraham that this was going to happen. And now he fulfills his promise to Abraham that he's going to bring them out. God keeps his promises. That's what the Bible is all about. That's why we can believe the Bible, because it tells us about God. And it tells us of his faithfulness to know all about what's going on and to keep his promises to his people. In verse 12, we see God speaking to Moses as he did back to Jacob. He says, certainly I will be with thee. He promises that he'll be with him in everything that he needs. Certainly I will be with thee. Then God goes on to predict the very scenes that we've just witnessed these last few days together. In verse 20, he says, I am sure that the king will not let you go. Verse 21, he says, I will stretch out my hand. In verse 22, and I will give the people, this people, favor with the Egyptians. Now let's move on to chapter 14, where we left off in our last study together. We see that finally Pharaoh has let the people go, and they've now spoiled the Egyptians by taking everything that was given to them. The Egyptians favored them with all of their gold and all of their personal possessions, and they were happy to see them go. That is for a time. But now we see that Pharaoh is pursuing them, and they're up against the Red Sea. 
And how do we see God demonstrating his promises before them? Well, we see that God is going to make an example to the rest of the world and for all of time that he is God that he alone is almighty, that he alone is, all, is the savior of the Israelites and indeed the savior of the world. Pharaoh had trusted in all of his gods, all kinds of gods, and the people had trusted in him as their leader, but it only got them ruined. You see, as God brought those plagues on, they called on their own uh, soothsayers and magicians, but they couldn't take the plagues away. You see, God could only take the plagues away. And so we see that finally that God is given the final judgment of the death angel passing over the people. And he required that the blood be on the doorpost. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. The promise to the Israelites that if they would do just exactly what God did, what God told them to do, follow his instructions, and that they would apply the blood, in this case to the doorpost of their house, that the death angel of God who came to bring judgment on unbelievers would pass right over them. But now we see Pharaoh is upset as the people have fled and they're up against the Red Sea and the people are trembling in Moses' presence, wondering why did we come here to die? Wouldn't it have been better to die there in, uh, as servants? But Moses speaks for God and he says, fear not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show you this day. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, ye will see them never again no more. Verse 14, And the Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. And God tells Moses to lift up his rod and stretch it out over the sea, and, the God, and God divides the sea. And the people of Israel go over on dry land. Impossible, you say. Well, you're absolutely right. You can't do that. I can't do that. There is no scientific uh, power or knowledge in today's world that will allow that to happen. But God did it. You see, God is not limited to our understanding. He's not limited to our power and ability. He's the creator of the laws of the universe, not the one who has to obey them. You and I have to obey them, but God doesn't have to obey them. He can change them for a short period of time or for any reason he desires. And that's just exactly what he does here. And the people of Israel are over on the other side of the sea now, and they see that the Egyptians are coming after them. In verse 27, Moses is told to stretch forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to his strength now, when the morning appeared. And the Egyptians tried to get out from that sea as they were trying to cross over on that dry ground. And the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Verse 29 reminds us that the children of Israel walked on dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on the left hand. See, we don't know how to do that, but God knows how to do that. And that's what the Bible tells us, is that God is more than we can comprehend. He gives us these facts of history to demonstrate to us that he is a living God who is concerned for his people, and he wants us to believe in him. Verse 30 of chapter 15 says, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. The Israelites had been held in bondage to those people for now 400 years in the land of Egypt. But now God had take them, taken them out. 
Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. You see, only God could deliver them. Only God could take them out of their bondage to slavery. And my friend, only God can take you and I out of our bondage to Satan and sin. Because that's the demonstration that's given to us right here in the scripture. Only God could do it. It couldn't be done by the people themselves. They didn't have the strength, the ability, the wisdom, the knowledge. And certainly they couldn't have made us a way across the Red Sea. Neither could they have gone by the garrisons of the Philistines. You see, they were not a mighty people as far as warriors were concerned at that time. And we'll see that later on they were. But the point is that thus the Lord saved Israel that day. You see, they were helpless to save themselves, just like you and I are helpless to save ourselves against the power of sin and Satan. Verse 31 reads, And Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians, and the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Oh, what a great testimony that they believe the Lord. That's what God expects of you and I, to believe him, to accept the record and come to him on his terms. And he continually unveils the truth to us so that we'll know how we may come to him and one day be brought back into fellowship with him through the promised deliverer. When Israel saw the great things that the Lord did, they believed in him. You see, some people say that they will only believe if they can see God do some great and wonderful thing. But God has not promised that he will do uh, spectacular miracles so that we will believe. You see, God has given us his word, and he tells us to believe his word and to trust in him. If we refuse to believe what he has written in his word, then we'll die without God, and we too will go to everlasting punishment. That's the promise of God, you see. Man is a sinner, and we are desperately in need of God because we're helpless to save ourselves, just as those people under the command of Pharaoh were helpless to deliver themselves from his tyranny. Only God could save them. No. Well, in chapter 15, we see that Moses sang a great song, and the children of Israel sang this song unto the Lord, and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed graciously. The horse and the rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare him an habitation, and my father's God, and, my, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. And they go on for several verses here, exclaiming the joys of their Savior, the one who has redeemed them from the power of Pharaoh. Verse 6 says, Thy right hand, O Lord, is become glorious in power, and thy right hand, O Lord, hath dashed in pieces the enemy. And in the greatness of thy excellency thou hast overthrown them that rose up against thee. Thou sendest forth thy wrath, which consumed them as stubble. Verse 11 tells us, Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like unto thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? Well, we see that these people are ecstatic. But now we see that they begin to move out into the desert and reality comes to them and they begin to realize that they're in a different land. I'm sure that there were many fears. The strangeness 
of all the change that had come into their lives in the last few hours and days was now settling in upon them. And one of the things that they come to right away is that they're out of water. And you know what they do? They forget all about the praises they've just said to God. You see, in the people of Israel, we see real humanity. We see people that are very quick to praise God in a time when things are going great. But when things don't look so good, they're very quick to murmur against God. And that's just what they did. They come murmuring because there wasn't enough water to drink. But God had a solution to that. And we're not going to take the time to look at the detail. But in verse 25, as Moses cries unto the Lord, he, the Lord answers, and, said, and the Lord showed him a tree that he could put into the waters of Meribah and, and Merah, and God would make those bitter waters sweet. God is in control of all the elements, see? And he wants his people to do what he wanted Adam and Eve to do, and that was come to him and ask him. Of course, they were pretty quick to murmur before they came, but they did come in their murmuring, and Moses took their plight before God, and God had the answer. You see, he's the blessed provider of all things. He's the owner of all things, and he knows how to fix what's wrong, friends, and he knew how to fix these waters of Mara too. Well, verse 27 tells us that they came on down to uh, Elam where there were twelve wells of water and threescore and ten palm trees, and they camped there by the waters. And they were there for a while. Chapter 16 is where we want to pick it up now again as we see the children of Israel moving out into the wilderness that God has a plan for them in. Now remember, they didn't go anywhere unless the pillar of cloud led them by day and the pillar of fire by night. That pillar of cloud or pillar of fire was with them all the time. And when it moved, they moved. And if it didn't move, they stayed there. But the time came now in chapter 16 where they were to move on. Read it with me in verses 1 to 3. And they took their journey from Elam, and all the congregation of the Israel came into the wilderness of Sin, which is called Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after departing out of the land of Egypt. And verse 2 tells us, And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Well, here they are griping again. They're in a habit of looking to themselves, seeing God's wanting them to look to him. But what do they do? They do just what you and I do. We're so quick to forget God who has been such a, a wonderful provider for us. And in verse 3 it says, And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God that we died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots, when we did eat bread to the full. For ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. They're afraid for their lives, my friend. They don't have any food. But what do they do? They bellyache and gripe about it. And they murmur to Moses instead of calling out to God. Even though the Lord had delivered the Israelites from the Egyptians by opening the Red Sea and led them safely through, they still had not learned to trust him. They murmured and grumbled. And, of course, they blamed Moses and Aaron. Has anybody ever blamed anybody before? You see, that's our first response, it seems. That's the response of our sin nature, my friend. What did Adam and Eve do in the garden when God asked them why they were naked? Well, the first thing that happened is Adam blamed the woman. Well, he actually said, God, it's that woman that thou hast given me. You know what? He was blaming God. Yeah, he used the woman, but he was blaming God. 
And then what did Eve do? She blamed the serpent. Well, we see that's the habit of sinful man. When we who are cut off from spiritual life by from God, we can't. We are uh, really unable to come to Him any other way because that's the very uh, essence of our sin nature. It shows what we really are. You see, instead of complaining, they should have trusted the Lord. We should trust the Lord today because we see the evidence of Scripture, but we keep complaining about our personal situations. Well, they couldn't get food from anywhere. They were out in the desert, and Moses couldn't provide for them. Not only were there no super supermarkets, you see, neither was there anything to grow there. This was a barren desert. Now, God put them in that place. God put them there because he wanted them to understand that he is God. He wanted the Israelites to know that he alone could help them in this situation as well. You see, in the same way, God wants each sinner to realize that God alone can save him from the punishment of sin. Let's move on together now in verses 11 and 12. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, I have heard the murmuring of the children of Israel. Speak unto them, saying, At even ye shall eat flesh, and in the morning ye shall be filled with bread, and ye shall know that I am the Lord your God. Oh, do you see the loving hand of our Heavenly Father reaching out to these people, even though that they had just murmured against him and against Moses? But the scripture tells us in the end of verse 8 that your murmurings are not against us, that is to Moses and Aaron, but against the Lord. But here now the Lord continues to hold his hand out and meet the needs of the people. You see, God helps the helpless. He delivers those who have no way of escape. Now, as we've just mentioned, when we saw Adam and Eve had sinned and they were separated from him, God promised to send the Savior to deliver them. And they tried to make clothing from leaves, but God provided them with the skins of the animals. God in his mercy and grace accepted Abel's offering. And God saved Noah and his family from the flood. God called Abraham out of idolatry and protected Jacob's family from starvation through Joseph. And also God called Moses to deliver the Israelites from the slavery of Egypt and opened up the sea for them. Now he promised to give the Israelites food. None of these people deserved any of these things that God did for them. He did it all because he's merciful and gracious. He's merciful in not giving us what we deserve, even at that moment of mur murmuring. But he's gracious, rather, as a demonstration of his love, he's gracious to give us what is needed. You see, that's the character of God. He's faithful. And that's the record, my friend. He never changes. That's the way he's always responded to sinful man who comes griping and murmuring about everything that seems so bad. But God wants us to realize that he's in control. And when we come to him, he's faithful and he never changes and he never fails to provide as he has promised. Now let's move on to chapter 16, verse 35. And the children of Israel did eat manna forty years until they came into a land inhabited. They, and they did eat manna until they came into the borders of the land of Canaan. You see, God was able not only to provide food for that immediate situation, he was able to provide food that he called manna 
for the whole 40 years that they would be there in the desert. You see, you see, the Lord faithfully provided for manna for the Israelites from this time on and throughout the time that they would be in the wilderness. He never failed them. God is faithful. God can be trusted to do everything that he says in his word. And once again, he's proving himself to do just that. But although the Israelites were thankful and the Lord, for the Lord's provision of food to them, they soon forgot his great power again, and they began to complain again. Does that sound familiar to you? Well, let's hear the record again. Let's read chapter 17, verses 1 to 4. We see now that the people are being led again by that pillar of cloud by day and the, and the pillar of fire by night. And verse uh, 1 of 17 says, And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys according to the commandment of the Lord and pitched at Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Wherefore did the people chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. Oh, does that sound familiar, my friend? Let's read on. And Moses said unto them, Why do you chide with me? Wherefore do you tempt the Lord? Verse 3, And the people thirsted there for water, and the people murmured against Moses, and said, Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us out of Egypt, to kill us and our children and cattle with thirst? And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do with this people? They be almost ready to stone me. Well, my friend, put yourself in their situation here. How long can a person live without water? Only a few days. And the Israelites were afraid they were all going to die in the desert. They were farther and farther into the depths of the desert now. There was no turning back, you see. They couldn't go back to Egypt. God wasn't going to part the waters from them to go back. And to go around the other way meant war. And they were not men of war at this point of time. You see, can you imagine the burden that Moses felt? He had no way of supplying water for these people. Only God could help them. We know that God can do all things, but where could God get water in a dry and barren place? There was no oasis just ahead, you see. But let me ask you, why should God provide for these people? God could do whatever he wants to do, but why should he? I mean, these people are continually complaining. You see, they did not deserve God's help. But once again, my friend, God is loving and merciful and gracious. And God didn't let the Israelites die of thirst. He gave them water because he's loving and merciful and gracious. And he continues to communicate with them. Let's move on and see just how he did it in chapter 17, verses 5 and the first part of verse 6. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people and take with thee the elders of Israel and thy rod wherewith thou smotest the river, and take it in thine hand, and go. And behold, I will stand before thee upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it. So God tells Moses to take these leaders of the land of, of the people of Israel and go to this certain rock and take that same rod that he'd held over the, uh, the great Red Sea. And God had parted that Red Sea when he did that. Now God expects obedience once again. And God tells Moses to take his rod and strike the rock with it. Now God promised that he would give water out of the rock. Now, my friends, this is an unusual situation. 
how much more sense it would have made to us if God had told them to dig a deep hole or uh, dig a hole in the sand and dig it deep enough to make a well. We could have understood that, you see. We could have explained how that he had provided water. But this was a true miracle of God. And God and only God could bring water out of a rock in the middle of the desert. You see, he wanted the Israelites and you and I to know that he and only God, he as God, was able to, to save them from death. You see, Moses had to do it God's way. Man can only come to God according to God's will and plan, you remember? And every time they had an impossible situation, God told them exactly what they must do. God is still the same today. He does not leave us up leave it up to us to work out a way of escape from our sin. He doesn't leave it up to us to work a, a way of escape for ourselves out of Satan's power and everlasting punishment. God is the Savior of all those who will turn from trusting in themselves and trust only in Him. He alone makes a way for sinners to escape, you see. He alone is all-powerful because He is God. Now God had told Moses to strike that rock with his rod, and the end of verse 6 in chapter 17 says, And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. In obedience to the Lord, Moses struck the rock, and immediately a great stream of water flowed out. Now how much water does it take to, to water two and a half million people and their animals? Well, we don't know exactly how much, but I'm telling you it was a bunch. It was a river of water that had to flow out of that rock. We don't know the exact numbers of Israelites, but they were continuing to grow. We estimate two and a half million, but there could have been more than that. You see, only the men over 20 were counted in the census recorded in the Bible. And we know that there were over 600 of them. But now we see that time has gone on and we can estimate from this census that there were at least two and a half million people there. You see, there wasn't enough water for all of them in, uh, and their animals too. And Psalm 105 verse 41 gives us a reminder of what God had done. It says, he opened the rock and the waters gushed out and they ran in dry places like a river. You see, only Almighty God could give water from a rock in the wilderness, enough water for this vast community of people. Now remember that God had made everything, and he spoke, and it was created, and nothing is too hard for God. He's loving and merciful and gracious, and God gave the Israelites food and water, even though they didn't deserve anything from God. You see, they didn't work for this food and water. They didn't even ask for it. God didn't even ask for anything in return. He gave them food and water because he, of his very nature. You see, his very nature is loving and merciful. And no person merits God's love and mercy. We cannot gain acceptance with God by the things that we do. God's forgiveness for sinners is a gift, my friend, because God is faithful. And that's the way he's always dealt, and that's the way he always deal, will deal. He is a faithful God, and he never changes. God faithfully protected the Israelites, and then he faithfully provided all that they needed. God had promised that he would bless Abraham's descendants, and God always does what he says. That's why there's more than two and a half million of them now, you see. 
God always does exactly what he said. He said that he would build a nation out of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he's done just that. And he said that he would bring them out of their captivity in Egypt. And he's done just exactly that. We see that he would destroy their enemy and he does just exactly that we see that God says that he would make himself known as I am the God of all creation the God of the heavens and the God of the earth and the God of the Israelites and we see him demonstrating that that's exactly who he is and what he is he is God who is in control of all of the elements of the world my friend well, my friend, this account of God's provision for the Israelites has been retold many times throughout the Old Testament, and it's referred to in the New Testament. Now, you remember that we've commented before that one of the proofs of the Bible is, is that, uh, that it is authored by God is its continuity all the way from Genesis to Revelation it is its complete unity and we see that this is one of the demonstrations of that unity as God shows his faithfulness and reminds us of his faithfulness to the Israelites as he unfolds it here to us in Exodus and tells us about it throughout the Old Testament and refers to it again in the New Testament you see these are real historical events these are real miracles Miracles are only God's miracles. You see, they are God's miracles because only he can do miracles. They show us his faithfulness to keep his promises. They show us his great love for his people. And they show us his sovereign power over all of creation. You see, God is beyond our understanding. And what he does is beyond our understanding. And that's why we accept these things as miracles. Because they can only be done by him. He's greater than we are. And he's done these things so that we can believe in him. He is God Almighty. He alone is God.